0: Good morning, everybody. Hello. Let's make sure. Yes. Hello. And uh, welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you leave me in the comments section today. And uh, as always, Super Chats will go to the very top of the list as I see them and and can get to them as quickly as I can, but I will definitely get to every single Super Chat before the end of the show. Should they occur? And I hope they do because they're wonderful support for uh, my efforts here. Uh, you know, my only real regret <laughs> is that I can't bring you guys more content. I post stuff seven days a week. Uh, sometimes on Mondays, you know, you get a critical clip and straight up in vertical. And I just wish I could do more. Uh, there's so many things I want to share and show you guys about so many things. And I... Uh, anyway, I just... I just wish I had more time in the day and more energy. <laughs> Let's go ahead and flip over to the comment screen here. So we get comments showing up as they come in. Hey, critics everywhere. I see you guys uh, in the comment section. Hey, Texas. Uh, excellent. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so of course, if you have questions for me, you can start throwing them in the chat and I will start answering them. Um yeah, yeah, Anthony, that's a great, that's a great point. Uh, he says here, I'd love to see you do a deep dive on radical Catholicism someday, as it relates to my personal story. Yeah, Anthony, that would be a good show to do, actually, because, um, because there is such a thing, and uh i you know and as we, as there is um you know when you start thinking about things on a spectrum when you start seeing that that there's shades of gray in everything no matter how good or bad it might seem you can always take it too far you can be too good you can be too bad, <laughs> you know, you can go, uh, but more, more to the point, usually good is somewhere kind of in the middle for most of us, most of the time on most spectrums, you kind of have that average, you know, and certainly Catholicism, like Islam, like um, any other form of Christianity, like almost any other form of any religion, can be taken too far. Uh, So, yeah, I should definitely uh, do something about that. Uh, Hey, Massachusetts. uh, Excellent uh, weekend here. Good. Hey, Mimi. All right. Uh, So, let's see here. I had um, something pulled up here. Let me see if I can find it. Just to sort of uh, kick things off. Oh, actually, to kick things off, let me please say... Um, I I posted a podcast yesterday on tax exemption and... Uh, you know, and I swear to God, if I don't put Scientology in the title, like three quarters of, of people just ignore it. And yet, it was a wonderful conversation I had with Liz LePoint, otherwise known as Godless Liz. And you can imagine with a, with a moniker like that where she's coming from, she has uh, a very interesting, she's a content creator and puts up uh, interesting stuff that's atheist, but also um, she's got educational material on non-atheist stuff. And uh, she and I had a discussion about churches and tax exemption and religion in general. And, of course, I talked about Scientology in there. It was all throughout. But I also talked about the good and the bad, the right and the wrong of tax exemption. I mean, should we have it? Should all religions automatically get it? You know, it seems like kind of an important point. And I also, um, you know, I I, I think it was in that episode that I mentioned the fact that, you know, taking away Scientology's tax exemption is not necessarily game over for Scientology. And it's something we all should kind of keep in mind. Yes, it needs to go away. Absolutely, we need to take the tax exemption away from Scientology. It is not something they should have for reasons of public policy, for reasons of the abuses. Um, you know, there's just no good reason why a, a, a covert mafia-like business operation that disguises itself as a religion should have tax exemption. But let's not all kid ourselves that just because they get Tax exemption taken away, they disappear the next day because it doesn't. It's not going to work like that. Um, they're still going to have religious status, and they would still have, um, you know, uh, survivability. Uh, maybe not as much viability, but certainly they could keep going just like they did for thirty years uh, after they had it taken away the first time. Let's remember that Scientology's heyday, the biggest period of Scientology's expansion, was during a time when they were not tax exempt. Something to think about, you know. Uh, but again, not a reason to not fight for it, not a reason to not take it away. It will it definitely impact Scientology if their tax exemption was taken away from them. Um, I'm just pointing out that it's not necessarily the knife, you know, in the heart that you might think it would be. Um, okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, the audio is coming in and out. Okay. That's disturbing, um, hmm, well, I hope let me know if that continues I'm the setup here should be all good, but keep me informed. Um, maybe it's because my head's turning <laughs> i I do tend to do that. I have a mic that kind of needs to be right up upon my mouth here, so maybe that's my bad for for going this way and that. Montana. Okay, so uh, we have some uh, questions coming in here. So let's go ahead and get to them. Um, All right. Uh, Colonial Broke. Do you get fair game by the Church of Scientology? Yes, I do. Um, I do not get fair gamed anywhere near as much as um, the heavy hitters. Uh, you know, Leah, Mike, Tony—they um, go after non sign you know, non-exes like uh, Yasher Ali is a reporter on Twitter that they often will target uh, on that platform. I'd, so I don't get anywhere near the amount of hate that they get. Um, I get uh, trolly stuff. You know, in the comments section of my videos, I get. Of course, I still have this, you know, hate page up on me by the Church of Scientology, but that's just one page versus, you know, a whole website that the, the entire Aftermath show got and and, uh, and others. And I only point this out to show that I'm kind of flying under the radar and I'm kind of, you know, okay with that. I'm not into this to get fair game, as I've always said. Um, but I do get stuff, absolutely. And they definitely know who I am and they definitely... Um, You know, they don't come around and physically stalk and harass me is, I guess, what I'm missing out on, uh, you know, mostly over all the years, and... You know, I'm small enough, and, uh, you know, I guess they the, the church Scientology considers I am inconsequential enough that I don't need to be fair game. They have other bigger fish to fry, and they do. They have significantly bigger fish to fry with a grand jury investigation, Danny Masterson's case, the legal lawsuits, um, you know, the heavy hitters that go after them. I'm, you know, I'm low on that totem pole, and, uh, and that's that's how that works. Uh, let's move on here Anthony Spurgeon asks I first found out about you Chris when Steve Shives recommended your channel have you ever watched him a lot of great secular commentary Uh, yes I have in fact I think I was on Steve's channel or, or he and I definitely communicated about Scientology this was many many years ago Steve kind of went further and further left in ways that I sort of ideologically disagreed with and we sort of didn't really see eye to eye, and he just kind of started ignoring me, and I just started ignoring him. I met him at a conference one time, and that was a little awkward. Actually, I'm being totally honest here. I have nothing against Steve, uh, except you know his he went a little further left than I was comfortable with. But um, but I really but I like the guy as a guy, you know. Um, but some of his views are just a little bit too far for me. So, um, but yeah, I definitely know definitely know Steve. All right. Let's uh, carry on here. Um, Jongge Matador. Jong Matador. Hey, Chris. How do big dollar donations get funneled to the Sea Org, or do local orgs take their cut? Um. The way that the finance distribution, the way the money works in Scientology, to be to, to give you a simple answer, because I've, I've answered this in the distant past in a lot of detail, but basically the way it breaks down is every single Church of Scientology is a separate corporate entity. And so if the Church of Scientology of Denver, let's say, let's say they bring in $20,000 one week by selling auditing and training classwork. Um, a percentage of that there's a there there's a financial planning sort of th- distribution sheet that gets filled out or the computer figures out where certain percentages are sent to upper management for certain things. There are pay- something called payments to flag which is actually is they statisize it every week, how much they're sending up the line. Um, and so that's a dollar figure that they keep track of, and it's a percentage of the income, and it changes over time. It's, got, it's been 10%, it's been 5%, it's been you know 15%. It, it changes, and so I can't tell you as I sit here right now what its current percent is as far as how much goes up the line, but a chunk of the income every single week does go up the line unless the church is in an unviable situation where they have to make their mortgage or rent payment or some big property tax or utility thing or something and they don't have the money to send up the line, they don't have the money to pay their staff, that just has to go to paying that bill. But otherwise, a certain percent goes up. Um, And there's a person uh, who is supposed to be posted at every single city-level church Called the fi- the flag banking officer, the FBO. And this was classically a C-Org member who was posted as what's called a network. It's a network posting. There's a flag representative. There's a flag banking officer. There's an estates manager. There's various posts that are considered network positions. as That's what they're called. And so the flag banking officer is supposed to be one of these. And this is sort of the C-Org representative for finance that works in the church and make sure that those percentages get paid and make sure that the other percentages for staff pay and for this and for that also are allocated properly, including money for promotion and marketing and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of how that works. And then there is a bonus system when it comes to straight donations to Scientology churches. If I go in and I make an IAS donation, uh, uh, I'm not paying for services, I'm paying... The church. I'm just saying here's ten thousand dollars to the International Association of Scientologists. And that's their sort of slush fund. That's their that's their money pot that they can just throw money into. That's not a local account. That's an international trust fund that the money goes to, but a bonus comes back to the organization for as as like a um what's the word for that? Um Commission you get like you're getting a, the the org is making a commission on that donation if the organization was involved in bringing that money in in the first place if they didn't do anything to to bring it in they're not going to get it, that bonus but if they do that bonus comes down and that is distributed to the staff through the staff pay percentage that's kind of how that works so I hope that all made sense in some kind of summarized way let me know if you have other questions about that. All right. Uh, keep going down the line here. Yes, please do remember to hit that thumbs up. Always appreciate the support, guys. Um, well, okay. X ass. I'm just kind of going down the list in order as I go. So you guys just keep them coming in and I'll just I'll, I'm going to try to hit them all. What do you think about Trump's truth social and where it's going? Well, I, I don't know exactly where it's going because I'm not on truth social. I would never follow that any more than I would go get an account on 4chan or 8chan or something like that. Um, because I don't, you know, I, my, my day-to-day existence is already infused with a steady diet of awful I am exposed to cult behavior, abusive behavior, stuff that goes on with kids all day long. It's, it's really, and, it, and it, it's not fun sometimes. So I would not go out of my way to go onto a social media platform with people that I believe are semi-radicalized uh, or on the way to that. Uh, to be part of that. You know, I'm not, y'all know I'm not uh, pro Trump in any way. I think that personality wise, he mirrors L. Ron Hubbard in a lot of ways, and it disturbs me more people don't see that. Um, that's my personal opinion on the situation, and, and, and it tends to really make people very mad. And I don't understand why, ultimately, because I'm not that invested in any politician, and I don't think anyone should be. It's sort of like thinking that a politician is you know, worthy of your admiration and your worship is sort of like the same kind of belief as thinking that the stripper loves you. Mm-hmm you know she doesn't it's, it's it's a it's for from from the stripper's point of view it's a business relationship and she's there to get money from you and as far as politicians are concerned it's the same thing left right middle i don't care they're politicians And we fall prey to that trap. And I'm not going to go any more soapboxing on it than that. But I want to explain myself that it's not just Trump I'm not for. It's just all these guys. I think they play all of us. And I think it's silly that we fall into the trap of the cult of personality with politicians, of all the people, you know. And as far as – so, you know, what's my take on Truth Social is it's a right-wing sort of Trump echo chamber. And I don't like echo chambers, and I and I try to not engage in them uh, or or get involved with them because it's just you know that that's where extremism is so easily riled up is in an echo chamber situation where it's just people of a like mind never challenging one another but riling each other up to higher and higher, you know, tests of loyalty, higher and higher dedications of purpose and intent and loyalty. You might notice the word loyalty is really big in the Trump world. There's a reason for that. Uh, you know, it's very, um, you know, it's it, it, anyway, there's just, that's kind of my, my, my quick take on that is I'm not, I, I don't, like any of that. Any more, I mean, and just for fairness sake, right? Any more than I like Tumblr or, you know, left-wing echo chambers. This is not, you know, I get the what whataboutism all the time. I'm just trying to head it off before it happens. Um, but I'm not into echo chambers on the left either, right? So uh, everything I say over here, I pretty much also mean over on the other side too. Okay, uh, let's carry on here. Oh, here's a great question. Felicity asks, when you imagined Scientology reaching its goal of clearing the planet, what did that look like? Did all 7 billion plus people on Earth need to reach the state of clear? I thought that eventually that would happen, but really my in my mind and kind of how it was talked about even internally – at certain times within the Sea Org was that clearing the planet would look like everybody was kind of that the majority of people on the planet, not everybody, that the majority of people would be on board. Well, you know, once we kind of crossed over the fifty-five percent or sixty percent line or something, then it would be sort of this momentum, you know, this sort of um, boulder down the hill, you know, snowball down the hill kind of uh, kind of an effect where eventually everybody would get on board and so we needed to get that percent, and that percent of course, is still you know billions of people. and so what would that look like? It would look like uh, a progression of change in society that would sort of sort of bring more and more and more Scientology in. and I imagined in my sort of heart of hearts that what this would look like would be whole. Events like like we go to football games or baseball games now by the thousands or concerts and there's you know ten thousand people there. I imagine there would be like ten thousand seat venues packed with people going to Scientology events, with people going to uh, Sunday services and getting group processing with people getting seminars and workshops on Scientology to the tune of you know thousands of people and in fact this was almost you know we saw a, a couple of Dianetics events that were put on in India and i think if i remember right there was one in Mexico that had like over a thousand people or something at one time and it, and I, and so that was kind of what I modeled this after, is like these great big events bringing in lots and lots of Scientologists at a time, or slowly, gradually turning society into Scientologists, and that this would be the sort of cleansing fire, you know, of, of thinking that it would free people's minds and that we would be getting along better and people could relate to each other better and communicate with each other better because they would know the rules of communication and they would understand the ARC triangle and so they would know that, you know, high toned. Uh, high affinity communication would result in more reality, which would result in more agreement. And by having more agreement, things would everybody would be getting along better. This was, this was very Pollyannish, right? This is very naive. But this was very much the view that I had as to how we would roll this out and sort of slowly, gradually, but de- determinedly take over the world. And I never really thought too much in this whole picture, in this whole fantasy I just sort of weaved for you. I never really thought too much about, well, what about the people who resist? Or what are we going to do about government? And how would we run government in such a way that we would be able to enforce these mandates? I never really went there. And... It was when I started going there after I got out of Scientology and started really thinking about the reality of it that I realized that that's why I I now say if, it, if we really took over, if Scientology really took over, uh, it would look like North Korea. It would have to. You'd have to start imposing controls. And what are the Scientology controls? Knowledge reports, the ethics system, that whole apparatus. And, you know, purpose of ethics is, you know, to remove counterintention from the environment. So if you're counterintention to Scientology's growth and expansion, you're going to be in jail, right? This kind of thing. Like, it goes dark really quickly. But I never let myself think about that or go down those roads while I was still in Scientology. And I don't know any Scientologist who does. In fact, I thought about that more than any other Scientologist I knew. I, I would talk to other Scientologists about clearing the planet, what that would look like, how, how the numbers, how big we'd have to be, how, how much work there would be to do to accomplish that. And people just kind of, yeah, okay, sure, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll make it, we'll make it, we'll, we'll get there, you know. It was all just that, like they didn't even think about it to that level. There was very little thinking going on about the actual goal and what it would take to accomplish clearing the planet when I was in Scientology, which is kind of odd, but it's true. You no, know, they really don't think about it. They just love the mantras. Just say the mantras, you know, and everything's fine. We're, we're clearing the planet. We're making it happen. We're going OT. You gotta be OT to go OT, and we're doing it, you know, and all these kind of things. And that was more the experience as a Scientologist, at least for me. All right. Um carry on here. I hate that this thing pops... Okay, there we go. Um... Moon Man 55, I have heard the possibility of L. Ron Hubbard being involved in some occult studies. <laughs> really? Is that accurate, and are there any sources for that? Yes, it's accurate, and yes, there are sources for it. L. Ron Hubbard's own writings. Uh, please look up uh, the affirmations of L. Ron Hubbard or L. Ron Hubbard's affirmations on Wikipedia, and you will find sources uh, cited for L. Ron Hubbard's occult beliefs as listed out In these affirmations, those were uh, court-introduced documents that the Church of Scientology validated as real. They were L. Ron Hubbard's. They are L. Ron Hubbard's writings. And they are uh, very definitely filled with occult references. We then find Jack Parsons, JPL rocket scientist from the uh, 1940s and 50s, groundbreaking rocket scientist, also head of the American branch of the uh, Ordo Templi Orientis, the OTO, which L. Ron Hubbard partook in with Jack Parsons at his house in Pasadena, California, before he wrote Dianetics in the in the mid to late 1940s, where they engaged in blood and sex magic. Uh, this is documented in Jack Parsons' journals. And diaries and letters. He wrote a letter to Aleister Crowley about L. Ron Hubbard, and Alistair Crowley wrote him back, uh, telling Jack Parsons, you know, this guy's trying to con you. And that's, of course, exactly what, Jack, what L. Ron Hubbard did. Uh, but he was absolutely involved in occult practices and occult beliefs, and that is how it is documented, and you can read all about it in um, John Atak's uh, Piece of Blue Sky book, uh, where this is all thoroughly documented, and or in um, Barefaced Messiah, uh, Russell Miller's uh, biography of L. Ron Hubbard. So those are, your, those are your two sources for that. Great question. Um hmm. Oh, okay. All right. Love Food Kitchen asks, I'd like your take on osabots, not the obvious like Stan, but suddenly Scientology public are very active. Paris Morphopolis hasn't posted on Twitter ever, but is now daily. Has he been told to, or are OSA running the account? That's a good question. I can't tell you definitively whether OSA are running those accounts or not. But given that they are real people, real OSA, real Scientologists, Kathy Feshback also posts on Twitter. I believe that they have gathered a certain trusted crew of, of, of OTs or people in Clearwater who have been carrying the torch for Scientology for literally over a decade or two or three... And I think that they have involved them in some sort of circle of trust where they're going to activate them as Scientologists to speak publicly and attack the critics and speak uh, sort of forward Scientology's PR. Because Scientology, the Stand League uh, Twitter account, the uh, other Twitter accounts that OSA was running... Jeffrey Augustine and, and others did some championship work looking up all the stock photos that they had taken and looking up the fact that they were using bot accounts, fake accounts. And they docu- and Jeffrey documented this. You can find it on his Scientology Money Project website. And so they got busted. And when they get busted, they hate getting busted. OSA hates it when people bust them because now they can't necessarily keep doing that same thing. And they're, you know, kind of stupid when it comes to the internet and stuff. So they, rather than um, just continue with fake bot spammy accounts, they decided, well, let's get some real Scientologists involved, or at least by name. So when it's, Jay, so when it's Paris Morphopoulos tweeting or Kathy Feshback tweeting, you can't say, oh, those are fake people from fake accounts because they're real pictures of real people that really exist. Is it really them tweeting? Probably not, actually. Probably not, because that would expose them to that N Theta. And I, I just, unless something has changed internally in Scientology, I don't think they want to expose their high level OTs to a bunch of N Theta on the internet, right? Especially on Twitter of all places. So they probably got permission to just run stuff through their accounts. You know, it's not like celebrities don't do that, where the celebrity is nowhere near their Twitter account or their Instagram account. It's some person running it for them, and they and the celebrity has no idea what's being said. Um, you know, they probably offer some guidelines. Don't do this. Don't say this. Say this. You know, try to push this messaging. But that's about as much involvement as they have. Um it could be the same for OSA with these high-level Scientologists as they just given permission to run the account, and they did so. That's my conjecture, right? It would probably be more of that. I doubt you're actually talking to Kathy Feshback or Paris, but I could be wrong. You know, I it, it could go either way, and either one is actually a plausible, you know, credible scenario. All right. Yeah, exactly. Um Oh yes, absolutely. Je Martins, do you have some interviews planned with John? They are always my favorite. I'm actually in a position right now where I have two podcasts recorded with John right now in the hopper. And because uh, we because I've had so much content in my podcasts and in, in, in the queue. I, I sometimes it's uh, feast and sometimes it's famine and right now it's feast. I've got a lot of content there. So you will see this coming up weekend, this next weekend, you will see me and John discussing artificial intelligence and some factors of that and control and all of that, the stuff we get into. And then, um, you know, a month later, you'll see us talk about something else. So yes, definitely happening. <laughs> um, colonial broadcasts, any thoughts on the Bud Light debacle? Um, My comment on this is that Bud Light did a championship bad job of understanding their demographics. That's what I'm going to say about that. (laughs) Okay, sorry about that. Um, Oh, absolutely. Let's answer this one. This is a great question. Trinity Devane asks, I have been reading Nancy Maney's book. She mentions list one which is something I had never heard of before. Do you know anything about that? Yes, I do. List one is a list, a literal list in Scientology that is made of Scientology principles. Um, And by that, I mean like key figures. L. Ron Hubbard is on the list. Mary Sue Hubbard's on the list. Um, And topics or things connected with Scientology or around it. I think E-meter might be on the list, you know, things like that. The idea with list one is you assess the list on an e-meter. You take an e-meter, and you take list one, and this isn't done every day. This is a rarity, in fact. This is hardly ever done, but it's around, and it can be done, where you can take this list, and you can take a a pen, and you can take the e-meter, and you go, okay, I'm going to put you on the cans, and I'm going to go, okay. L. Ron Hubbard, and I'm going to watch the needle. And if it goes doink, right, then something's up on that item. But what we're really looking for on this list, what it's what it's most famously known for, is if there is a rock slam on the needle. This is what the needle looks like when it's rock slamming. It's kind of all over the place. Why? Because it's broken. That's why. You get some dust in the meter, or you get some other electronic phenomena, or you touch the cans together back and forth, or you do, or you wear a ring while you're holding the cans, and you can get this rock slam phenomenon. There, there are lots of physical ways to produce a rock slam. But Scientologist, um, that's not what they're looking for. Is physical. They believe that the, that if a rock slam turns on in response to saying L. Ron Hubbard or Mary Sue or you know whatever on this list, that makes you what's called a list one rock slammer, uh, L one RSer. <laughs> and this is what will assign you. This is what will get you assigned to the RPF immediately. If you're an l one rs you go straight to the RPF. They do not ask questions. They do not. You don't pass go. You don't, nothing. You just, boom. Um, because this means you have a hidden evil intention on the topic that you're rock slamming on. That's what L. Ron Hubbard says, is if the needle starts doing that crazy rock slamming thing, oh, ah, we gotcha. We found you. You have evil intentions towards the thing that you're RSing on. If you RS on apples or oranges or you know Corvettes, nobody cares. Okay, you got hidden evil intentions towards Corvettes. Great, we'll we'll get that dealt with in the course of your auditing. But if you're RSing on L. Ron Hubbard, oh, right now we know you're here to destroy the organization. Right, it's that kind of a. Paranoia, and yeah, that is how they think. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the significance of list one. Um, oh dear, no, okay, here's a great question. Uh, geekdom 101. Hey, Chris, did you did LRH write the curriculum for all Scientology courses? Uh, no, no, he did not. There are many, many, many courses. Uh, let's be clear. L. Ron Hubbard wrote a lot, he and he lectured a lot, 5,000-plus recorded lectures. Nobody, you know, Other people, when L. Ron Hubbard was around, gave lectures, but nobody was recording that and keeping it for posterity the way they've kept L. Ron Hubbard's lectures. And L. Ron Hubbard did do a lot of writing, and he transcribed a lot of books and all of that, um, or recorded books, and they were transcribed, or the books were com- you know, compiled from his work, but L. Ron Hubbard's not the only guy who ever wrote anything in Scientology. It just happens that his name is on everything. Mary Sue Hubbard, his, his third wife, wrote a ton of policies and issues. So did a lot of other Sea Org members and a lot of other staff members. But L. Ron Hubbard slapped his name on it. So, um, And the same with bulletins. There were whole concepts come that were come up with over the time of Scientology, some of them, some pretty basic concepts having to do with auditing and the e-meter, study technology. I mean, a lot of stuff in Scientology was not from L. Ron Hubbard's mind. Uh, other people came up with it, but then he wrote a bulletin, or he wrote bulletins, or he gave a lecture, and put his name on it, and then it was his, and then it was all L. Ron Hubbard. So when you ask, you know, did he write all the curricula, you know, he didn't. And uh, in fact, he didn't write all the courses. I mean, a lot of the check sheets that that tell you what to study and how to study it and what order to study it, those were compiled by non-L. Ron Hubbard sources. So a lot of Scientology is not L. Ron Hubbard, but not a majority of it. You know, I'll say a lot of it, but I but I, I I will clarify that by saying the majority of the work was from his hand. Put it that way. All right. Oh, right, a good question. Um, Xian asks. Sometimes when it comes up in conversation that you've been involved in Scientology, are you concerned that you will be thought less of somehow? Sure. Yeah, I, I, I think for a period of time, maybe I would have said no or something, but I think I've kind of come a little full circle, but not to the point where I'm necessarily bashful about it. I've gotten to a point now where I'm not so interested in socially and talking about it. I used to kind of lead with that, you know, social. And so, and I'm talking socially now. I'm not talking about here on my channel. Of course, I'm going to talk about it here. But when I meet new people, I kind of downplay it a little bit, unless it kind of comes up. It's like, like, oh, who are you? What do you do for a living, right? Then I have to start explaining. Well, you know, I have a YouTube channel, a podcaster, right? You know, I do research uh, you know, culty stuff, right? I kind of t- say culty stuff or coercive control first. I don't lead with Scientology, um and I don't know that it's because I want people to think less of me, but I do think it's because I want to stop being the one-hit wonder, right? I want people to know there's more to me than just oh, I used to be in Scientology. It's a very identifying characteristic and once you say it, you can't unsay it, right? And then people will have a particular view of you. Um and you know that sometimes that sucks, right? So um, so I've, so I've sort of lessened the, the, the speed with which I will bring that up or the, uh, the, the, the depth of involvement in it, unless it comes up through the course of the organic conversation that I, you know, kind of need to go there. I'm not trying to hide it. I want to be, make sure I'm understood that I'm not sitting there with a big secret I'm just not leading with it, you know, and I don't know how what what to really think of that. I don't particularly think about it in terms of whether that's a good or bad thing. It's just kind of how I've been lately, um, you know, or or how I've developed more. So that's yeah, that Don't has no don't have to say about that, but uh but that's that's what I can say. Colonial Broke, did you pay off your freeloader debt? Yes, I did. Uh, years ago in 2013, when I first got out, I did pay off my freeloader's debt. It was about $5,000 or something, five dollars or $6,000. Um, and I borrowed the money from somebody, and then I paid the freeloader's debt, and then I got declared, and I paid that money back because I didn't want to leave them high and dry. They were Scientologists who had lent me that money, and I didn't want to just leave them high and dry, even though they had disconnected from me. Uh, I paid them back anyway. So, yeah. All right. Okay, let's get rid of that one. Okay, Uh, how many times did you take advantage of standing order number one? Okay, so standing order number one is the order from L. Ron Hubbard that all letters written to him will be seen by him. That is a standing order number one. And so when you write letters to L. Ron Hubbard, you are using the standing order number one or SO1 line uh, to get a letter to him. And this was set up within Scientology. uh, And L. Ron Hubbard did not see all of the letters that were written to him. He specifically did not. He had bags of letters coming to him. And he would have a crew of people who would be assigned the additional duty, in addition to their regular job, this was Sea Org members on the boats. In addition to their regular job, they were supposed to answer L. Ron Hubbard's letters and sign for him, and they had little stamps or, you know, they uh, learned his signature. And, um, and, this, and this would go on uh, for years. And there were whole batches of letters that were sent to him that were just thrown over the side of the boat because nobody gave a, gave a shit about it. Um, so how many times did I take advantage of it? I wrote to L. Ron Hubbard once uh, when I was a kid. As far as after L. Ron Hubbard died, this line was taken over by the executive director international, and it was supposed to be a line to top management of Scientology, and I never utilized it for that. Uh, but I saw lots and lots and lots of people who did, but I, I wasn't one of them. I only wrote the one letter the one time when I was a kid. Um, hey, Finland. Okay. Okay, so uh, Jean Matador asks, um, for IAS direct donations, is there a priority in terms of which part of the church receives the biggest share of money? I I don't know. I have no idea. You're asking a distribution question that, that very few people have access to. Nobody really knows where the money goes. That's part of the problem is there's no transparency. And so once the money goes from the city level, it goes up to the continental level, the western United States, eastern United States, Canada, goes to that level. And there's a certain percentage of the money that gets distributed to that level of management, and the rest goes up. How much? A certain percent. Like I said, it changes. It's variable. Um, depending on what ver- you know how the finance system is working at that at, at this moment. Um, once it goes but as far as the chunk of money that goes up from all the organizations that goes up to international management or goes up to central reserves, how much of that is then given to legal or given to, to Miscavige or given here or given there? That's the big question, and it's and it is a big question. But there is, unless you've worked in international finance recently, and you can come out and tell us, no one knows Um, that there just isn't any uh, transparency on that, right? So we have no idea, and that's why I can't answer that question because I don't know. Clearly, we can clearly say that a fantastic amount of money goes to legal. Uh, if you consider legal all of the budget for the Office of Special Affairs, uh, lawyers, private investigators, uh what is that? Uh, the various websites and search databases that they connect up with, LexisNexis, things like that, in order to track people down, the surveillance equipment that they purchase, the you know the, the surveillance operators that maybe they hire for things, the computer work that gets done, the the hiring of hackers to go hack people's accounts. This is all, you know, sort of the, the Scientology dark money. And and a clearly an awful lot of money is dedicated to those efforts, but how much, you know, anybody's guess. You know, clearly millions and millions of dollars. I mean, clearly, for the uh, for what they you know uh, shell out. Okay. Um. <laughs> okay, Anthony Spurgeon, what are your thoughts on Tucker Carlson getting fired from Fox? Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. (laughs) How about I say that? Um, I could, uh, you know, I could do a whole, I could probably do a two hour podcast or something if I really went and did a deep dive on all of the propaganda techniques that Tucker Carlson has engaged in over the years to forward the messages that he forwards and they are messages of hate and division almost uniformly I, I don't like him I don't think he's a good human being I understand that there's a lot of people who worship at the altar of Tucker I, you know if you come here you're coming here for my take on things and for my facts and and evidence-based, ideas of stuff, which is not to say that I'm completely unbiased or completely objective. I'm definitely not. But when it comes to somebody like a Tucker Carlson, I categorize him the same way I categorize a Rush Limbaugh or a Sean Hannity or an Alex Jones. They are propagandists. They are not news journalists. There's nothing that they do that is even remotely connected with journalism. They are simply talking heads, and they're, and what they have to say is awful, and it's usually very, very, very untruthful. Uh, it is truthful to this to, to this extent, but then there's the whole truth. There's whole truth. There's how much of the truth they're using. And that's propaganda because you're filling in the rest of that void with bullshit. And I don't like that. I've never liked that. I don't like it on the left. I don't like it on the right. And... Um, and that's my problem with with Tucker Carlson. So the fact that he got fired is quite fascinating. Do any of us know why he got fired? No, we don't. There's various. Uh, there have been various uh, guesses, or well, it was this, or it was that, and it's kind of like I, you know, okay, that's interesting. Um, I think time will tell uh, more on that. You know, as it always does, the truth will eventually out. Um, but like I said, I don't think it could have happened to a nicer guy, but of course, you know, you know, people like him are going to find another platform and another way to spew their bullshit because that's what they do. They're professionals at it, literally, you know, and that's, that's my take on that. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely mentioned that, uh, Tony Ortega on Poe on the go later today. Okay, yes, uh, Colonial Broke, any thoughts on Claire Headley's testimony in the Masterson trial? Thank you for asking. She did awesome. Uh, she gave very factual information in a very factual way uh, from her expertise as a uh, staff member of RTC. She worked directly under David Miscavige for many years. She knows exactly how the uh, s- sausage gets made, so to speak, uh, from having worked at that level. She's seen some things, and I thought she did great. Did not one complaint, uh, you know, thought it was wonderful. So um, that was my, I don't know, it's my sort of summary version of uh, thoughts on that. But I, I thought she did wonderfully. Um, oh, gosh. Okay, Geekdom 101, how many books are Scientologists required to read? I know Dianetics 1950. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there are the basic books of Scientology. I don't remember if it's 24, 25 books, something like that, 26 maybe. Um. It, you know, It's Dianetics, Science of Survival. Um, uh, I, could, I, I can't list them all out right now here. Actually, I'd have to walk through them all. Let's see. Dianetics, Science of Survival, Advanced Procedure and Axiom, Self-Analysis, um, Creation of Human Ability, Handbook for preclears, History of Man, Scientology 880, Scientology 8808, um, of Problems of Work, Fundamentals of Thought, um, Phoenix lectures is no longer a book that was always just based on the lectures, uh, all about radiation was a, was a, a key book for a while. I don't know that it still is. I think they kind of took that off the shelves. Um, those would be all, all of the books I just listed are absolutely required reading, uh, Scientology zero to eight introduction to Scientology ethics. That's a, that's a whole book that you have to read, um, Way to Happiness, of course, that's, that's, these are all the basics. These books that I'm listing right now that I'm talking about are all part of what are called the basics of Scientology. And every Scientologist nowadays is pretty much mandated that they got to read all of these things. So, um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of books, I think altogether, you know, maybe 25 or so. All right. Uh, let's see here. Yes, uh, Carlson's Propaganda Techniques. Good, I, I, will, I will absolutely seriously consider that. That's a, that's a show that would be very interesting to do. Um, did, I, did I vote for Joe Biden? Yes, I did. Yes, I did, because my other alternative was voting for Donald Trump, and that wasn't going to happen. I'm a registered independent, by the way. Um, okay. I did not miss the way to happiness. I got to it. Hey, I caught up on the um on the uh comments. Great. Uh good. So we wow, so I've actually this is the first time I think I've caught up on all the questions that were coming my way. So if you have some more, we still have time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, no. I missed a couple. Hang on. Um Okay, Geekdom 101, do you think Miscavige still truly believes uh, in LRH and Scientology now, or is it just a means of power and money? Does he secretly realize it's a scam and uses it? I, yeah. I don't think he's a believer anymore. His actions are not those of a true Scientology believer Uh, He not only violates what L. Ron Hubbard has ordered to be done or said to be done, he almost holds L. Ron Hubbard in contempt with some of the changes that he's made. The uh, complete shift onto making Scientology a real estate investment scam uh, through the Ideal Org program is is the exact opposite of what L. Ron Hubbard wrote to do in his policies. His emphasis on the IAS and straight donations to Scientology is a direct contradiction of what L. Ron Hubbard said to do. Uh, It's doubtful that L. Ron Hubbard even knew about the International Association of Scientologists. It was set up in 1984 outside of L. Ron Hubbard's purview, and it's very likely L. Ron Hubbard never knew a thing about it. Uh, because Hubbard had written clear-cut policy that said, this is not how you make money. You do not do it this way. You sell books, you sell services, you sell auditing and training, right? Those services. That's how you make Scientology prosper. And they were not making Scientology prosper. Uh, it That was not the winning formula to grow Scientology's reserves. The way they did that is through uh, developing what was called a war chest, when they faced uh, in the in the mid 1980s, the uh, IRS was coming to collect that overdue that overlong overdue tax bill, which had reached over a billion dollars, and it was live or die. And so they had to get their tax exemption back. And so um, you know, but that had taken decades to accumulate, mind you, and they had refused to pay a dime in taxes all that time. So um, anyway. Miscavige sort of solved that problem and became the new L. Ron Hubbard, got, you know, became the power in Scientology and started rewriting it in his own image and um and sort of devaluing, auditing, and devaluing the things L. Ron Hubbard said. And to me, those are not the actions of a true believer. And to me, those are the actions of somebody who thinks, yeah, this is something I can run for myself, for my own gratuitous. Power and you know I can I can you know wet my appetite on all these people around me by beating on them and you know all the things David Miscavige does that are really awful. Um, and he doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to be that way. There's no reason for any of that to be happening except for the fact that he's really sick. And so you know, it, does that reflect a true believing Scientologist? Nah, not really. You know, so um, yeah. So that's, that's kind of my take on that. And I could be completely wrong. You know, David Miscavige could be a dyed-in-the-wool, full-blown, true believer who's just so whack that he can't duplicate what L. Ron Hubbard wants and then do it. Or what L. Ron Hubbard wants is so stupid that he went, well, we can't do that right now. So, you know, like, there's so many different possibility possible explanations for that behavior. But to me... Nah, the simple explanation is he's not a believer anymore. He was one time, but I don't think he is anymore. Okay, let's see what else we've got here. Um, Because I did miss some questions here. If a non Org member, this is a good question. I missed this earlier. Uh, what happens if a non Org member gets a list one rock slam? If they are a staff member, they're off staff immediately. Uh, I watched it happen in Santa Barbara. Um, but they're not kicked out of Scientology. They are just tagged as a list one rock slammer, which means case-wise, auditing-wise, they're going to need to get that addressed as quickly as possible. And there are different places where those rock slams are are addressed with certain kinds of auditing depending on where you're at on the bridge. If you are non-clear or you get up to the level of clear, they will use what's called a false purpose rundown on you to uh, find and extract your evil intentions. Um, If you are OT, then you have to get up through step 16 of OT 5. The OT level 5 has a lot of steps on it. And step 16, I believe step 16 is the one that deals with rock slams as an OT. And that's where you go, or those are the procedures that you do to deal with a rock slam as an OT. All right, so there you go. Um, what movies are you looking forward to seeing? I'm not, really. I, I'm so kind of dis- disaffected right now with the state of Hollywood and where things are at movie-wise. Um, Yeah, it hasn't been good lately. But I say that in a little bit of ignorance. I need to bone up and see what's coming right now. But I'm kind of way over all the superhero movies now. It's such a dead issue. And Star Wars has kind of been destroyed for me. And I, I know I'm old school and I know I'm the old fogey guy and I'm just being, you know, whatever. Um, But I just can't. I can't deal with with modern Star Wars and modern superhero movies. They drive me crazy now. And I was so into them for so long. But, uh, you know, um, I'd like to say I'm looking forward to the next Indiana Jones movie, but I'm kind of not. And, and Raiders of the Lost Ark is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best movies ever made, period. End of story. Like, I will die on that hill. Uh, but after that, eh, quality suffered uh, anyway. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for asking. Um, Yeah. Okay, good. Thanks, guys. Um, mm, I don't think I want to go there, really. Um, Colonial Broke asks, do you consider yourself part of SPTV? No, not really. I'm kind of doing my own thing. Uh, I got nothing bad to say about any of that, okay? Don't take that as like, ugh, ugh. It's not like that, okay? It's just I'm my thing is my thing, and what other people are doing was what other people are doing, and I'm totally fine with that. Really, I am, okay? Um, oh, God, yes. Yeah, Vernon asks, <clears throat> excuse me, when Leah and Kirsty were in Scientology, did they help bring people into the cult? Yeah, absolutely they did. Celebrities are... Big uh, on getting people into Scientology, and uh, and Leah definitely brought people in, and Kirstie Alley absolutely brought. Kirstie Alley ran a mission uh, in in Kansas. Um, she was very hardcore about bringing people into Scientology. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. Uh, just a quick comment here. Yeah. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard's screenwriting ability was awful. Awful. Like really bad uh yeah he was he he was not good okay um it's an excellent parallel parker oh here's a great question hail chris shelton thank you do scientologists have any view on computer girls that immerse you in a fictional world like World of Warcraft or Star Citizen? Do they think they are real from Whole Track? Here's, here's what I'm going to say about this. Is Scientologists believe that games like Dungeons & Dragons or role-playing games or immersive experiences are re-stimulative. That they will make you, they will stimulate, they will bring back into existence in the here and now mental image pictures and charge that you carry around with you, trauma, accumulated stress and trauma, uh, from your past because they approximate the conditions of the past, right? If you're playing a game that is a 3D virtual reality spaceship game, there's a very good chance, as far as Scientologists are concerned, that you could be re to the past and to the stuff that really happened to you. And so they would tend to, if you had any kind of negative experience or didn't feel so great or felt a little overdone on playing virtual reality games or role playing games or anything like that, you will very quickly hear from Scientologists, Oh yeah, well you're probably re-stimulated, right? You probably shouldn't be playing those games. You probably shouldn't be doing that because it's restimulating you. And that's that's a bad thing, right? And so don't do that. That's that would that's kind of been my own personal experience with that uh because they poo-poo D&D and at, at it, in the 1980s you could not play Dungeons and Dragons uh in Clearwater at Flag they, if you were a Sea Org member and you came in and you were a and d guy they were like sorry you're not playing that game anymore it's restimulative yeah nope not doing it right and that's not even based on anything Elrond I mean that might be based on something Elrond Hubbard said but he never ordered that right but that's just one of those cultural things that happens and uh and they would definitely be down on on the uh, computer stuff uh computer games there we go yeah that made more sense thank you for clarifying that i thought that's what you meant when you said that uh okay thank you for your oh well thank you esmore you are very welcome i i'm working hard here um <laughs> Uh, Okay, let's see here. Um, Okay, Jeremy Pasta. Let's do this one real fast. Um, Can you explain how exchange works in Scientology? Um, Yes, I can. There are four. There's a policy letter L. Ron Hubbard wrote about the subject of exchange, and he listed four conditions of exchange, he said. Okay, four ways that exchange can be manifested. And let me see if I can remember these. There is a criminal exchange, which is no exchange, which just means you get taken, right? Um, there is, um, I can only remember three right now, but there are four. Okay, anyway, there is a regular exchange, right? Normal, you pay for this, I give you this, it's a fair exchange, it's great, it's wonderful, that's totally fine. There is, um, there is, is it above average exchange? Maybe there's above average exchange, but then there's the 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 fourth condition of exchange, which is the one that Hubbard insists that staff members and Sea Org members engage in which is where you pay for a, a regular diamond and you get what he calls a blue-white diamond polished and all set up in a nice little box and here you go. And it's more than what you asked for. You get more exchange back than what you gave for it. And L. Ron Hubbard said that staff and Sea Org are expected to deliver this level of exchange for the goods and services that Scientology offers to people. And yet... That's not fair exchange. It's more than fair exchange. It's it's giving more of yourself than you receive back. And I think knowing what we all know about the control structures and slave system of Scientology, staff and Sea Org, we see that this is used in Scientology, not in a positive way, but in a negative way to actually abuse the staff by saying that they are not exchanging enough, they are not offering blue-white diamonds, and how dare they, and they are violating policy by not doing that, by not working harder, by not getting up early and staying late and you know, working their asses off to provide the most brilliant exchange ever for the money they receive, which is not an even-steven exchange right, and Scientologists read this stuff and think, oh, I need to give blue-white-diamond exchange, I need to give the fourth condition of exchange, what you find out very quickly in the real world, practically speaking, that that wears you out, exhausts you, and eventually um, kills you, right? Even exchange is where things should really be, right? If you pay me X amount of money, I should deliver you X amount in product, I shouldn't go... Uh, become a slave to you because I need to give you the fourth condition of exchange, right? So, yeah, so that's kind of how that works. Um, Okay, so that's the exchange thing. Let's see if uh, I can see if there's any more. Marco asks, have you ever been into one of those underground vaults where they store the steel-plated works of LRH? No, I have not. And so hardly any Scientologists have. Like a handful of Scientologists are even aware of the location of those vaults. You all know about it. You can look it up on the Internet. Tony Ortega has reported on it in detail. But for us Scientologists, we, didn't, we had no idea where those things are located, uh, much less have visited them. That's, that's a well-kept secret in Scientology. Um yeah I think I I it's the scrolling what see what happens is every time I I start clicking on stuff it jumps to the bottom and I have to scroll back to the top and I miss some so I apologize for that that's uh, just the way I've got it set up here and I wish I had a better system for that um so if I missed your question I do apologize I'm trying to get to them all um X sign, what do you see history's view of Scientology as being? Let's go ahead and wrap up with this one. Um, I think Scientology will be seen in history if it has any historical imprint at all. It will be seen as just one of many coercive groups and destructive cults that flourished from the 1960s through the Internet age as people kind of lost their damn minds in terms of how to relate to one another and how to believe in things without going... All in on them to such an extreme level that they can't think clearly. You know, that seems to be a phenomena of the modern world. Cults, of course, have been around forever. But, you know, the destructive cult situation we see with large group awareness trainings and the, the sort of rapturous adoration that people will pay toward politicians, religious leaders or figures, celebrities. I mean, this is just taken to a level of ludicrousness. We all lose our damn minds over these cults of personality or ideological cults or religious cults that we get involved in. And that's kind of, to me, that's a more modern phenomenon than what we've seen in the past. Although that could be, you know, I could see how I could be challenged on that statement. Um, But as far as, you know, how is history going to treat Scientology or treat these groups? Not kindly, I don't think. I hope uh, not kindly, you know. But it's hard to say. You know, it's really hard to say. All the work we're doing right now, all the work I do and all the other channels do and all the writers and journalists and uh, people, documentarians who try to expose this work, all of that could go away tomorrow in many ways um, because people can – are just capable. And this is not a message of hope, really, and I don't – maybe I shouldn't end on this, but it's just – People want what they want. They need to have their emotions fulfilled. And they don't care about facts. They don't care. Not if it challenges those deeply held beliefs that they must fulfill uh, in order to fulfill those emotional needs. That's you know that's kind of the bottom line on that. So you know how's history going to look at this? It kind of depends a lot on how things play out, you know, due to factors none of us can predict, but I'd like to think, I'd like to think that it will continue going the way it's going right now, which is toward non-existence, right, toward a toward an eventual end, where people just won't think about Scientology at all, because it'll just be one of hundreds of fly-by-night, culty, coercive con jobs. That's how I'd like to think history's going to think about Scientology, <laughs> And odds are it probably will go in that direction. Okay, now we have a super chat question that came in at the last second here, so I'll go ahead and pick this one up from Fabian. Hey, uh, he says here. Let me go to the bottom and throw it up on the screen. Okay. Do you have any theory why L. Ron Hubbard preferred the camper instead of the open sea or South America? There he would have had way more possibility accessing money and people personally. Well, L. Ron Hubbard Hubbard wanted to go back home. L. Ron Hubbard wanted to get back into the limelight. And L. Ron Hubbard was an American, and he preferred being in America. I think his journey around in a blue what was that, a Bluebird Motorhome, was considered to be a temporary thing. And then when he settled in Creston, California, at the end of his life we're talking about now, this is all 1980s, last last few years of L. Ron Hubbard's life, he was in exile or in hiding, sort of self-imposed exile, where no nobody could really know where he was or what he was up to. There were only a few people, a couple people who knew. And, and I think he did this thinking that any day now, any time now, he's going to be able to go back to the gold base. He's going to go back to his people. This was the effort, and there was a lot of work being done by Sea Org members. David Miscavige, one of them, lots of them, to get his name cleared and get tax exemption and get the corporate structure sorted out and make things where L. Ron Hubbard, where it was safe for him to come back and lead again. And that was the idea. The idea wasn't to stay off in exile forever. It was to come back. And if you think about it in those terms, it makes more sense that he was kind of hanging around close by. Not to mention that in order for him to continue to run Scientology, because make no mistake, he still was issuing orders and directives and policies and bulletins. He could only do that if he was relatively close by. This was the 1980s. There was no Internet, so there was no digital document transfer, or anything like that. He was literally within hours of driving to the gold base. and the mail runs that, that would happen, the communication runs of, of dispatches and letters and things to and from L Run Hubbard had to be close by. So he couldn't go wandering off to South America or go wandering off to, you know to Montana or something. He had to stay kind of close. In order to keep the operation going, that's logistically, that's kind of how I see, uh, you know, the explanation for why he hung around until his final days. Yeah, at the end of his life, there. So, um, so good. Oh, thank you for saying that, Maths. I appreciate that. i doing my best. Um, good. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Excellent. Okay, and with that, Let's go ahead and wrap up the show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around, guys. Let me throw a couple little things out at you. Um, um, consulting. I do consulting. I will consult you if you need it. If you have friends, family, uh, people you need, you want to help who are in a coercive situation, a domestic violence situation, a cult situation, you want some help, you don't know what to do, contact me. I can help you. Um, Or if you are struggling to recover from a coercive situation or you want some help or some guidance or some direction on what to do, how to do it, I can help. I do not offer therapy. I am not that kind of psychologist. But I can give you advice, guidance, education, and direction. So consider uh, contacting me for that. Otherwise, hit that like, hit that subscribe, share my work, and I will see you guys uh, soon. All right. Bye-bye, guys.